Our passage today is 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 26. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chooses. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need for you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts we treat with great modesty. Which are more presentable, which are, which are more presentable parts do not require. But God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffers together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We continue in our series of Together Again. And last week we talked about the fact that there can be no hostility between us any longer. And so this week we delve into what it means for us to be together, joined together. And we're really speaking in particularly about the body of Christ. And an invitation is here for us who have been following Christ to recognize, oh, this is how we're supposed to be. But at the same time, it's an invitation for those of you who are maybe walking along trying to discover who Christ is or what this thing is all about, for you to hear that we are never perfect at this, but we invite you in to discover that you can be part of the body of Christ, something bigger than you could even imagine. Scott McKnight is an author and a professor in the States, and he's written a book that's called A Fellowship of Difference. And in it, he begins to talk about the way that we construct salads. I thought it was an interesting illustration, and so I'm going to lift it directly from him, but I'm going to make it my own. He talks about that there are three ways to make a salad. One way is just to grab a bag and put it in there and have it be done. The other way is to cut all the things up and separate them out and have them sitting on a plate just like this. So you have the tomatoes, and then you have the lettuce, and then you have your cucumbers, and then yeah, cucumbers, cucumbers, maybe some feta cheese, beets, but all separated. And then a, a, what he says is the best salad is when you take all those things and you just mix them all together. I agree with that. However, 
I would say it starts off best when you have them all separated. And they're all kind of who they are, distinctly different. My favorite salad in the world is a Cobb salad. And a Cobb salad takes all those ingredients, an egg and some blue cheese and some cos lettuce and some ham. You don't have to have ham or eggs if you're vegetarian or vegan. That's okay. It doesn't make it any less of a Cobb salad. And they cut it all up very, very small. And it is then lined up in the bowl just this way. And so you can see, oh, I've got that much avocado. Oh, I have that much beets. Oh, I have that much lettuce. Oh, I have that much of this. And it's beautiful. But if I were to eat that like that and just go, oh, I'll have some beets and then I'll have this, I don't get the full taste of what it really is. The beauty of the Cobb salad is when you take all those things in their particularness and you mix them all up, then they taste wonderful. But you don't lose the beauty of your particularness because it's gorgeous to look at a Cobb salad, maybe just for me. Jesus here is talking through Paul, reminding us that we are his body. And he reminds us that there are things that are different about us, but we are all part of one thing. There's a beauty in your particularness. There's a beauty in who you are and how God created you and made you and formed you. Yet, by itself, while it is beautiful, it is so much more when it is joined together in the body of Christ. Contextually, what's going on here is Paul is talking to this church in Corinth that has an issue with pride. Well, they've got lots of issues. But one of the issues that he's addressing here is pride. And he's talking about the fact that some of them think they're better than other ones. Some of them feel like they've got it figured out more than other ones. Some of the folks in the, the church in Corinth believed that unless people operated and acted like them, that they wouldn't be really following Jesus. And so he wants to remind them that there are things that are different in the body, yet there is one spirit, there is one God. And so in the context of what he's talking about, that's what he's saying. So right before this, he talks about spiritual gifts, that we have the Holy Spirit that lives within us and that it manifests itself, it shows itself out in multiple ways within the body. But then he gets to this point and he starts to talk about the physical body. And he says, look, a body can't just be an ear, or it can't just be a nose, or it can't just be an eye, and those things can't say to the other things in the body, I don't need you. A head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Or a hand can't say to a lung, I don't need you. But it's important for us to recognize that there's a particularness about each one of those parts. But they then sit in that place. So contextually, what he's talking about is don't get all haughty or high on yourself if you think you have a better gift than the other people that you're gathering with. But there's also something underneath this that we can see. Because as he's talking about the different parts of the body, but how they are still one body, it causes us to move into a place of recognition that each one of us are special and unique and particular in how God designed us and made us. And that he doesn't want us to be alone. He actually wants us to move into community and a place with others. Because what we have needs to be brought into life 
with what others have. And what they have needs to be brought into life by what we have. Very quickly, he's pointing out to us that you're unique, but you're not all that unique. You're special, but you're only as special as I have made you. And unless you do the purpose I created you to do, you lose your specialness. It's not the body anymore. In this, he talks and he quotes a couple of different people. And in this book, he quotes a couple of different people. Bonhoeffer, who, who was a German theologian, in his book, Life Together, in chapter one, he says this, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may have been honest, earnest, and sacrificial. It's really easy for us to think to ourselves that if everyone were like me, then we would get along easier. That if everybody thought the way that I thought, acted the way that I acted, sounded the way that I sounded, believed the way that I believed, then we would be able to get along better. What he's saying is, Bonhoeffer, is that sometimes we have this idea of perfect community. This idea of what it would be like ideally. And we elevate it above what God is actually doing. And in doing that, we most often define that perfect community about what feels right for us and how we engage in it. And so often what you will see is there will be splits and there will be divisions. There will be groups of people who go off and form new things. That There will be those who say this is elevated or higher. What Bonhoeffer warns us against is you're making a cause or you're making your ideal an idol above what it means. Maybe it's good for us to remember that Paul is using an illustration of the body. And how many of you this morning, when you looked in the mirror, thought, I'm perfect? I'm glad nobody raised their hands. How many of you, when you walk down the street and you're seeing everyone else that's walking, think to yourself, I am so much better than all these folks. It's interesting that Paul uses a human body because the human body is never perfect. It falls apart. It deteriorates. It loses things. It gains things. It expands. It contracts. It moves differently. You'll wake up one morning and something will be hurting that's never hurt before and you'll think to yourself, why is that happening? You'll look in the mirror and go, my ears have somehow gotten bigger. My hairline has gotten less. Because the body is not perfect, and so it is with the church. So it is with the body of Christ. Yes, Christ is perfect. Yes, who he is and how we reside in him is beautiful and lovely and perfect. 
Yet, as we walk in this world as a gathered community together, we must always recognize that we will never be perfect. That we might have an ideal of what it might look like for us to attain that perfection. That yes, that we're so loving and so kind and so open and so generous that we would be the light of the world and that people would say, that's a beautiful place. Yes, that can happen. But the reality that we need to also recognize as we are the body is that it is broken. And that we will always have a tendency to elevate something or diminish something that God holds as utmost important. And so we always have to go back to what Bonhoeffer has said and check ourselves and go, am I idealizing something over and above the reality of Christian community? See, the danger for us to be in a place where we've idealized something and we think that I'll pursue that alone is that we think this way. I want to have a pure church, the best church, the right church. I want to have the good group of people, the best group of people. And God says, I want you to have broken people, hurting people. I want you to be a gathering of sick people who I am good and pure. And I pour myself over them as the medicine and the glue, and the hope that they need. See, we'll elevate it. And then what we do is we begin to say, who are like-minded like me? How can I gather together with them and them alone? Because if I do that, then I'll be perfect. And it will be perfect. And we'll all speak to each other. You're perfect. No, you're perfect. No, we're perfect together. But you're not. And what you've done is you've eliminated hearing the beauty of God's voice from others who you might sometimes disagree with. And that's okay. And particularly if they rest and are firmly founded on the foundation of what this passage is telling us. That we're in Christ. The body of Christ. C.S. Lewis put it this way when he was talking about it. That God has called us to love those who happen to be in the church with us. And they may well be odder than you could have even believed, but worth more than you've ever guessed. I'm grateful that most of you deal with odd people because I'm pretty odd. And so are you. That's the beautiful thing about God gathering us together. So the first thing that we recognize is that our particularness is beautiful, that God joins us together in that so that we can be his one body. And in that, then we never elevate one particular part of our particularness above everything else, that we are generous and open and we allow those to come in and join us where they're at. That's one reason why we say you can belong before you believe. Now, we don't want you to stay at that place. We want you to move to believing so that you can become the body of Christ and then you can be Christ to the world. That's what our goal is. That's what we feel God has called us to do here. And so as we gather together, we never want to say you're not welcome because of who you are or what you believe or where you're at. But we do trust that God will 
bind us together in the depth and knowledge of his love so that we will all be transformed into the beautiful things that God has made us to be before the foundations of the world. That's what God does for us. But how does this work? How does this happen? Well, it works and happens in two ways. One is we recognize it's not your body or my body. It's Christ's body. That's what he's talking about here. It's Christ's body. And so these people who are here, who he's talking about, these people who quite honestly don't look like much church that we would want to go to, go back and read parts of the early part of the, this letter to the Corinthian church and you'll recognize, whoo, they had some stuff going on. Like we would go, that's a troubled church. Yes, lots of, lots of stuff. And yet here he's saying, you're the body of Christ. So what's important there? that I'm the body of Christ or that I am Christ's body. See, it's not that I make the body of Christ. It's that the body of Christ exists and that God moves me out of it and puts me inside of it, that I am in Christ, that our identity has shifted, right? We go back to last week where we say, why can't there be hostility between us? Because those of us who have moved outside of Christ and into Christ are now walking like Christ, so we cannot have that hostility. The same is true as here. We no longer have our identity of all those other things. We are actually in Christ, so we are his body. So that's the first way that we recognize. My particularness is beauty, but it's so much more beautiful when it is mixed with the body of Christ. And the second thing is this. That means we have to live life together. We go back to that quote and say, they're odd people. They're people I, I rub against and it hurts me. I don't get along with them that well. I wouldn't choose to hang out with them. And that might be where God has placed you. I don't agree with what they think politically or, or... So? That's not your most important identity. We know that this is about living together because we see what he says here at the very end. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now that's a beautiful thing to say. Uh, there's a place that in, in the body of Christ that when someone is suffering, then we all suffer with them. We walk in that suffering with them. And if somebody is honored or somebody is celebrating, then we all should be celebrating with them. What, what he's battling here is this idea that my stuff is more important than your stuff. Well, I know you're hurting, but you've not experienced what I've experienced. Well, well I, I know things are bad, but, but remember, things are bad all over. So, yeah, okay. So, oftentimes, right now, among Christendom, in the world, there are people who are hashtagging things in their Instagrams and in their Twitters and their Facebooks. Do you, face, do you hashtag Facebook? I don't know. And one of the hashtags that is out there that gets this back and forth going is BLM or Black Lives Matter. 
And there are those who see it and they respond to it and they say, well, I don't agree with what that organization believes and so I can't do that. And then there are those who say, I'm going to say Black Lives Matter because Black Lives Matter. And there's all sorts of things that get pushed against it or get brought into it. If I have a child, and I do, five of them, and one of them is hurt, I don't say to them, well, sometimes all your brothers and sisters get hurt. Hurt happens in the world. All of you will be hurt at some point. So, no, when my child's hurt, that one child, I say to them, I love you. I'm sorry that you're hurt. How can I bring about healing and restoration to you? So for the body of Christ, we need to hear when people say they're hurt, and we need to go, if you're hurt, you need mercy and care and love. We don't first judge whether that hurt is true or not. Now, we might in the course of life with them, recognize that, well, some of this hurt has come upon you because of things that you've done. That still doesn't mean we treat them any less with respect and love and grace and mercy and honor. We move to them. Always. In particularly within our body. The gathering of people. So, within our gathering, there might be people be people who say, I disagree with all of that. That's great. Guess what? I'm glad you're here. I want you to disagree with all that. I I, I hope that we can have a conversation about it. And there might be some of you who says, well, until everybody agrees with the way I think, then they can't come along with me. Stop doing that. Because we're the body of Christ and it's not us. It's Christ's body. And he's called us to live life together. And grace pushes in to make it possible for us, even within our disagreements, even in the places where we rub up against each other wrong, we can stand firm in knowing that God's love is sufficient. It is steadfast to hold us close together. And so we suffer when somebody suffers and we celebrate when somebody celebrates. But what that really means is that we've lived life together. Because the reality is, when we don't live life together, I won't know when you're suffering, and I won't know when I should celebrate with you. If we're just passing each other like ships in the night, if we just wave at each other and say, good day to you, lovely to see you this Sunday morning, but we're not actually spending time getting to know one another, sharing life with one another, being known and understood and loved by one another, then we'll never be able to suffer when we suffer or celebrate when we celebrate. So this calls us as the body of Christ to live deeper, to be intentional about how we operate with one another. That's one reason why we have Bible studies in small groups. Because believe it or not, even this group of people here, it would be hard for us to live life intimately together. Here's a warning though. I don't want you just to pick those that you think you like to do that with. Start picking people you dislike. Okay, not dislike. That might be too strong. People that you think, I might disagree with them on a few things. And start hanging out with them. 
eating with them, enjoying life with them. Because then you will move to a place of being able to suffer when they suffer and rejoice when they rejoice. And that's what the body does. Because when the foot hurts, trust me, the whole body hurts. I woke up this morning, my shoulder hurt. I had to go home and eat something so I could take something so my shoulder would stop hurting. But it wasn't just my shoulder that hurt. It was my elbow and my wrist. And then it was the rest of my body. And it was my mind thinking about all the other things about my arm hurting. That's the way our body works. That's the way the body of Christ works. And so we need to know that we step into this place by Christ alone. So maybe it's a good idea for us to have a good definition of grace. Scott McKnight in this book, The Fellowship of Difference, says this. Grace is more than being lucky to be on God's side. Grace is God's goodness showered on people who have failed. Grace is God's love on those who think they are unlovable. Grace is God knowing that we are designed to be. Grace is God believing in us when we have given up. Grace is someone at the end of their rope finding new strength. But there's even more to grace. Grace is both a place and a power. Grace is God's unleashing his transforming power. Grace realigns and reroutes our lives into and as a community. Grace is when you turn your worst enemy into your best friend. Grace takes people as they are and makes them what they can be. I would add what God designed them to be. Grace ennobles, grace empowers, grace forgives, grace frees, grace transcends, and grace transforms. We step into the body of Christ in our particular beauty and we get mixed up together so it's even better. But fair warning, it's kind of like a rose and not my rose. But it's kind of like a rose. You see roses in this beautiful bush that is blooming and it smells lovely and you go to reach in to smell it and you think I'll just take a bit and you hit that thorn. That's the church. It is beautiful in the way that God has designed it, but I'm still thorny, and so are you. And so in our thorniness, God comes and he trims off those thorns slowly but surely, but maintains the beauty. My call is to have you be trimmed by God. Let him take our thorns away so that we can be his beautiful church. Let me pray. Father, let these be your words. And if they're not your words, let them burn up and fly away. But if they are, Father, we ask that they will bring good works and they will bring you glory. It's in your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen.